and repeat after me. Say, this is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's word. It's his truth transforming every part of my life. And I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just looked back there and I saw a great man of God that's with us today, brother, Dr. Terry Yancey. Would you please stand, Dr. Yancey? Let's give the Yanceys a big hand. Dr. Yancey has been a great mentor to me. He's also a superintendent. Oh, and, and Miss Yancey, come on, stand up. How are you doing, gal? I didn't even see you over there. Got you. We are glad you are here, ma'am. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Brother Yancey, of course, the whole Yancey family is just a blessing to our church body, but we are so honored you're here today, sir. And Brother Yancey is the superintendent of the uh, District of Kansas for the Assemblies of God and a great man of God. We're talking today about the wise men. How many of you have a nativity? Anybody have a nativity? Nativity? How many of you have wise men in your nativity? It is wrong. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's just wrong. (laughs) We're going to talk about the wise men today, and it's a great image that we see Jesus in the manger and the shepherds around him and the star and the angels singing and and the animals and the wise men. But actually, the the wise men were not there at the stable at the time, but it, it looks really good in movies. But... Don't go home and move that out of your nativity. You can leave it there. But we're going to talk today a little bit about the wise men because there's some lessons in their life that we can relate to our life today. Okay, there really are. And so we're going to talk about them very, very interesting things in their life. That song, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him, that word adoration means worship. And that's really what the the wise men came to do is they came to worship. Let's look at our text today. Matthew chapter 2, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. This is verse 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Where is the Messiah? We saw his star as it rose And we have come to worship him. So I thought and was preparing this message this week. I think there's some truths in this that I think every one of us have in our lives that we need to come to grips with. And I'm going to read some statements that I put here that I really want you to listen to. And I want to read them right. Until you come to the place where you learn to adore or worship Christ... Until God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit become the focus of your life, listen to me, you will always be searching for significance and fulfillment. Until Jesus becomes the center of your life, until God is your focus, until the Holy Spirit is resident in you, you are always going to be searching for fulfillment and significance. That's just the way it is. Listen to this next statement. And so... Everything else in life comes up short to knowing and being known by God. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life many years, and sometimes later on as I've gotten older, I have searched for things in my life to to try to give me fulfillment. 
How many of you have spent time in your life chasing things that didn't really fulfill you or satisfy you? Yeah, many of us have. I mean, we go out and we chase things. We think things like, well, if I had more money, or if I had another wife or husband, or if I had another car, or if I had, a, and, and we keep chasing things. Why? Because we're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for significance. We're looking for something in our life that, that makes us feel good. And so we end up spending our life chasing things. And I don't know about you, but the reality is there's only one thing in life that truly satisfies us. And I'm not saying this today because I'm a pastor. I'm saying this today because it's the truth. Only God can satisfy all the longings of your heart, guys. It's not in the next paycheck, the next car, the next person. Fulfillment is found in Jesus. And that word fulfillment is... I was trying to think of a good example of fulfillment this week. How many of y'all like to eat? Let me see your hands. Come on. Some of y'all are lying because I can look at you and tell. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. But, but we like to eat. And I had this visual image growing up on my mom's side. On my dad's side of the family, he had three brothers, so four boys. Uh, it was a smaller group. On my mom's side of the family, eight kids. 400 grandkids. I mean, you know, we were everywhere, like a herd. And, and there was just a bunch of us, cousins. And I remember going over to their house, and, and I remember we would just, at Christmas or Thanksgiving, just eat. I mean, we ate until, I mean, cattle moving slow, eat them. It didn't matter. I mean, we were going to eat something. And, and so it was like a, a plague of locusts moving in. I mean, everything got eaten. But I remember this image vividly. After dinner, after everyone had eaten and settled down and had eaten all they wanted, they were fulfilled, they were satisfied. I remember walking into the living room and all my older uncles sitting in there with their top button unbuttoned in their pants. Have y'all ever seen that before? Some of y'all are laughing, some of you are like, ooh, no, it's true. I just, and all laid back, they'd eaten so much they were full. They'd had all they wanted. They didn't want any more. They were satisfied. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, come to God and he will satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. God tells us in Isaiah, he said, come to me, all who are hungry, all who are thirsting, come to me and I will fill you. I will fulfill all the, all the needs in your life. I'll fulfill you. Because so many times, the reason he's saying that is we try to satisfy our life with things that don't satisfy us. There's not enough alcohol, there's not enough drugs, there's not enough money to satisfy the needs of your heart. Only God can satisfy you. And you say, well, what does that have to do with the wise men? It has everything to do with them. Now listen, let me set this up for you. These wise men were from eastern lands. What we learned from history is they were from modern-day Iraq or Iran. They were far to the east. They were about, they've estimated, 800 miles away. So imagine, you know, by camel, donkey, whatever, riding 800 miles. I mean, it would have taken them months to get over to where Jesus was, okay? So this wasn't just, they didn't wake up one morning and go, I heard Jesus is coming, let's go buy some plane tickets and go see him. No, this was a journey that prepared, had a lot of preparation behind it, a lot of money invested into it. And understand this, in the days that they were traveling, there would have been a great deal of danger for them. I mean, their life was literally at stake as they came to seek Jesus. But what's more amazing about this is that these guys were heathens. They weren't believers. They weren't Hebrews. They were from eastern lands. They, they had other religions or traditions that they followed. I mean, these were guys that were just looking, listen to this, they were just looking for truth. They were just seeking God. 
What's amazing about that, my Bible tells me that God says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. And these guys were sincerely seeking God. And I've wondered, and I found out this week, it was fascinating. They think that these guys were from the order of what Daniel, the prophet Daniel, had set up in the Old Testament. The reason they would even know to look for the Messiah is that you remember Daniel, back Daniel in the lion's den. Some of you remember as a child, Daniel was a great prophet. Daniel was a Hebrew. And he brought the Hebrew Bible at that time, what they had, he brought to these wise men. And it's actually the same word in the the Old and New Testament, this term magi, you've heard the term magi, that's where we get the term magician. But they were more than just magicians. Many of these guys were astronomers and they would study the stars. Many of these guys were very learned men. They were educated men. They were the rocket scientists of their day. And Daniel at one point was the head of probably the same group. So these teachings, these ancient Hebrew teachings had come to them. So they were studying these texts And all of a sudden they recognized from old prophecies that the Messiah had come. So imagine for a moment that you've spent your entire life searching for truth. And all of a sudden in these old prophecies, these old Hebrew prophecies, the Messiah was coming. So they saddled up and traveled to go see him. That's an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought. But I'll tell you something else that gives me great hope here is these guys were just people like me and you searching for the truth. And I want to encourage you in this today. Regardless of your family background, regardless of where you come from, you may be the only person in your your family that even goes to church or seeks God out. God is not a respecter of persons, but if you are truly seeking him, you will find him. God is not trying to hide himself from you. And if he can reveal himself to these guys... All those thousands of years ago, he can reveal himself to you today where you are. It just takes you seeking him. Amen? Let's look at some things here about these guys. Who were these magi? Matthew 2, out of the New Living Translation, says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, the wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, and they asked, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, here's some interesting facts that I want you to understand today, just to clarify things for you. The wise men came, they were seeking Jesus, they traveled, you know, at least 800 miles to come see him, and they brought gifts, didn't they? What was the first gift? Starts with a G. Gold. They brought gold, and the gift of gold was to signify royalty. So they brought this gift of gold, and it was to signify, here's a king, and a king deserves royalty, and gold was what they brought to him. So that's what the gold was. Then they also brought some some herbs, and the first herb started with an F. What was it? Frankincense, not Frankenstein, okay? Frankincense. And they brought frankincense. And what frankincense was used for is the priests would use frankincense. They would light it and the aroma would smell. And it was to signify the priestly role. It was one of the things that that the priests did. And so the gold represented Jesus. It showed that he was a king. The frankincense came to show that he was a priest. And Jesus is called our great high priest, okay? Okay? Then the third thing they brought started with an M. Don't look at the screen. I see y'all cheating. Myrrh. Go ahead. Fine. 
It's myrrh. They brought myrrh. Now, what myrrh was used for, very interesting, myrrh was used when bodies were being embalmed. This was for death. And so the myrrh was brought to show that Jesus was going to ultimately sacrifice his life for us. He was going to be our redeemer. So think about it. These men came all this mile. Remember, these are guys that are heathens, but they recognized who Jesus was. And they brought these gifts to symbolize that he's our king, he's our priest, and ultimately he's going to be our savior. That's what those gold things represented. Now, let me tell you this, just to clear it up. Tradition says that there were three wise men, but what we understand is there may have been many. There could have been 20. We know there were more than two because they came in and brought these gifts, but we don't know the exact number. So they came in, and and also what it tells us in Scripture is they came, the star came over, and well, let me read it. Let the Scripture speak for itself here. Here's what the Scripture says. I really like this. If we can find it. Here it is. Then Herod, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 through 8. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from the time, from them, the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, let me explain a little bit about Herod here. King Herod was a nasty guy. King Herod was not a nice person. And when he heard that another king, he, he went to his wise men and said, hey, what does this mean? What does this prophecy mean? Why are these guys here? And they began to tell him of the prophecy that the Messiah would come. And what King Herod recognized, well, there can't be two kings. So if there's a king that's been born, guess what? He feels threatened. And so he wants to go find out who this king is. Why? Do you think he came to worship him? What did he want to do? He wanted to kill him. And so he thought, hey, I'll use these wise men to go find Jesus, and then I'm going to show up and I'm going to kill him to secure my reign. That's what he's saying here. And I want you to understand, look at number one on your notes. Look at number one on your notes. These are some things that we can learn from the wise men that can help us. Number one says this, there will always be something competing for your worship. There will always be something, sometimes someone, that's competing for your worship. And in this case, the wise men, what was competing for their worship was Herod. Herod was trying to get in the way and distract them from the mission that God had called them to. And it's no different in your life than and mine. There will always be something trying to keep us from coming into relationship with God. Some of you are, well, Pastor, what does that mean? Let me explain that to you. How many of you would say there have been times in your life where you've really decided, you know what, I'm going to draw close to God. I'm going to start serving God. You know what, I'm going to go all in in my relationship with God. I'm going to start serving at the church. I'm going to change diapers in the nursery. Whatever it is, you've decided, man, I'm really going to get my life right. I'm going to serve God. What happens? Immediately, something starts coming along trying to distract you from that. I've talked to many of you over the years that have said, man, I finally decided everything was going along. I finally decided I'm going to jump in with God. And as soon as you decide to do that, it seems like many times all hell breaks loose. And it's because the devil doesn't want you drawing close to God. Let me just tell you something today, guys. 
The devil doesn't care that you go to church. What he does care about is when you start living out the faith that God has called you to. There are churches all around the world that have Christians going to them that aren't doing anything. But when you begin to really serve God, the enemy will oppose you. And many times, he'll oppose you with distractions. He'll put things in your life that are going to try to get you off track, Larry. That'll get you focused on something else. That'll take your focus off of him. And those are King Herod's in our life. But here's the good news. God always sends a star to draw us back. There's always the star to guide us back. And I want want to say this. I said this first service. I don't want to say this to you today. There are two types of really what I would classify as miserable people in the world to be around. The first miserable person to be around is someone that has a lot of unforgiveness in their life. You've heard me preach on that before. Those are miserable people, unhappy, bitter people. But there's a second one that I think uh, some of you may or may not relate to. I have in times in my life. That's a born-again Christian. That's someone who knows God, who's decided to go off and do their own thing for a while. Somebody went, (laughs) It's true. If you are a born-again believer and you've come into a, a relationship with God, you are saved, and then you decide one day, you know what, I'm just gonna run off and do my own thing for a while, How many of you that have done that would say that is a miserable experience? It is, isn't it? Because the difference is you know the truth, and then when you decide to do your own thing, it's almost like nothing works out right. In other words, you're running from God. Here's the problem with running from God. He's everywhere. Ask Jonah. (laughs) I mean, we we decide in times in our life we're going to go do our own thing, and it doesn't work. And you know why it doesn't work? Is because you are marked with the Holy Spirit. God is in you. And when you decide to go off and do your own thing, you're going to be very unhappy. And for some of you today, this message may be just for you. If you're running from God, stop. You're just going to make yourself tired. Come back to him. Follow the star. Go away from the distraction. Amen? So number one is there will always be something competing for your worship. Look at Matthew 2, verses 9 through 11. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse. After the interview with Herod, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. Circle stopped in your notes. It stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house... And they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And this is where I want you to understand. Notice it didn't say they stopped at the stable. They stopped at the house. At this time, Jesus was around two years old, and they'd moved into a home. And so the star stopped. But here's something interesting. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this, but the star was moving around guiding these guys. And some of you that have studied the Bible recognize in the Old Testament, many theologians believe what the star was, was the Shekinah glory, the the glory of God that was going before these guys and guiding them in a similar way to the Hebrews when they left Egypt. Remember, if you remember from your biblical history, there was a period of time that the children of of Israel, when they left Egypt, the the Bible tells us there was a pillar of cloud by day that they followed, followed and a fire at night. 
And many uh, theologians believe that it was the same fire, the same Shekinah glory that was moving and guiding these guys to their destination. But here's what's amazing about it. Is the, is the star, this light, moved and it stopped over the house. And here's the point. Here's the point. The star only stops in one place. The star only stops in one place. And the search ends with Jesus. You know, the search ends with Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And there's so many things in life. I was talking about it earlier. That we look for worse things we want to worship. Things we, that we look for satisfaction. Things that we want to fulfill us. But the truth is, there is only one thing that will satisfy us, guys. That's Jesus. And it's just true. I know in my own life, I've chased a lot of things in my life. I've made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and had a lot of things. But the only thing ultimately is that has satisfied me in my life has been my relationship with God. It has been the constant in my life. He is true satisfaction. And I want to encourage you today. For those of you that are looking for things to satisfy you, this Christmas season, stop. Notice that it says the wise men, when they saw the star had stopped, they were filled with joy. So imagine for a moment, just imagine for a second, you're putting yourself in in the shoes of these wise men. They've been studying the stars. They've been reading the scriptures. And they recognize that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has come. And so so they all saddle up, and for months they ride following the star, and the star finally stops. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them to walk through the door and see Jesus? Just think about that. I mean, imagine right now if Jesus walked in and sat down on the front row. Just think about that for a moment. The reality, the presence of God in human form right there. And you can imagine when Mary opened that door and these guys walked in and the fulfillment of their life was right in front of them. Think how moved they were. I'll tell you how moved they were. They immediately bowed down and worshiped him. Fulfillment. This is it. This is what I've been looking for. It wasn't in the other religions I followed. It wasn't in the philosophies that I looked at and studied into. It was found in this person of Jesus. Imagine that. And it's probably the greatest lesson that these wise men can teach us. It's the same for us. So for those of you right now that are looking for different things to fulfill you, you need to put all those aside. I'm going to give you some advice today. I'm going to give you some New Year's resolution advice. How many of you do New Year's resolutions? Let me see your hands. How many planners do I have? That's That's what that means. All right. If you wonder who these people are, they're the same ones that have to know every blank on the notes every single week. That's them. Okay, but there are planners among us, and I don't know about you, but I usually write out some resolutions too, and and so you're getting ready. Some of you may be getting ready over the next couple of weeks to write out some resolutions for the year. God showed me this this morning, and I think this is absolute truth. Here's what I want you to do this year. It's what I need to do this year. Instead of writing five things on your list or ten, write one. Draw close to Jesus. 
You know what my Bible tells me? That God wants to bless me? As a matter of fact, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, in our flesh, we decide, you know, here in the next few weeks, the Clary's are going to have hundreds of people sign up to come work out because they need to lose 80 pounds next week. And they're going to be coming in there, and, and they're going to come in there, got very good intentions, and probably about four or five weeks, they're going to be coming in there, and they're, many of them are going to stop. Because in their flesh, they can't be disciplined enough to do it. But you know what I think? And I mean this. I believe that if we draw close to Jesus, he will begin to work out those areas in our life that need to be worked out. I believe it, guys. If you draw close to Jesus, maybe some of you are saying, maybe one of your resolutions is going to be, I'm going to be kinder to people this year. Where do you think that kindness comes from? As a matter of fact, my Bible tells me that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, discipline. In other words, all the areas of your life that you need help are found in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They are found in Jesus. So if you draw close to him, he's going to help you be better than every area of your wife. Wife. <laughs> that probably means something. <laughs> Hey, yeah, look that one up. Stop it, you. Uh, but here's the truth. Here's what I'm going to do this year. This is my resolution to draw closer to Jesus than I've ever been. And I believe that as I draw closer to him, I'm going to become a more disciplined person. I'm going to become kinder. He's the author of all wisdom, isn't he? I'll become smarter. I'm going to develop smarticles. Do that. I'm going to write a book, How to Become Smarter, Follow Jesus, The End. Have a good day. You know, it'll be a great bestseller. But it really is the truth. And here's what I'm, here, you say, well, Pastor, how does that work? That's what these guys did. They laid aside everything to find Jesus. Now, here's point number three, and then I'm going to close. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to take some, Dr. Yancey, I'm going to take some poetic license here. Matthew 2, verse 12 says this. When it was time to leave, these are the wise men, when it was time for them to go, they returned to their own country by another route, circle another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. And here's where I'm taking my license. Now, they, they went by a different route, practically not to go back to where they went before, to, so they'd have to deal with Herod. But here's, here's my point. They went by a different route because they were changed. They went by a different route because they'd had an encounter with Jesus and they were never ever going to be the same again, guys. Everything changed from that moment on for them. And so they went a different way. And I want to tell you something. When you have a real encounter with Christ, it changes everything. I know when I had my encounter with Jesus, I came in one way and I left a different way because it was real. And it was the same type encounter these guys had. And some of you can look back in situations in your life and you can recall that moment where you recognize that God was real and this was real. This wasn't a game. This wasn't a religion. This was the truth that God was real. You know, Connie, a few minutes ago, as we're passing in the hall after baptism, she goes, that was awesome. That was great feel different. 
And it's those moments in life where we recognize the goodness and the mercy of God and that it changes everything. I had a story, there's a family that I dealt with recently that decided they were going to love and care for some folks in our community. And so they, they came and, and they said, Pastor, we want to we bless a family. And, and so they were, they were searching for a family to bless. And I, I met with them the other day and I was talking to them. And, and, and the wife came up. I was talking to the husband and the wife came up and she has tears. She, she said, have you said anything to him? And he said, no. And immediately both their eyes started filling with tears. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. And they said, you know, we decided to bless and, and help this family. And we received two different checks in the mail that we weren't expecting. That God just blessed us financially. And we had no anticipation that that was coming. And in that moment, now we're all crying. <laughs> but here's what it means. In that moment, when they stepped out in obedience to God to love other people, you can't outgive God, guys. You cannot outgive God. When you decide in your life that you're going to be like these wise men and you're going to seek Jesus, all these things will be added into, unto you. But it's about getting your priorities right in your life. It's about when you decide that I'm going to sell out for Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, he's going to be first in my life, and then God's going to bless you in ways that you could never imagine. But it's not vice versa. See, what many of us want in our life is for God to do something and then we'll step out in faith. But that's not the way it works. God requires you to step out in faith and then he will move. And you say, well, pastor, why does it work that way? It's not faith if it's the other way around. I can tell you from true experience here at the church, for a long time, and the guys will, all the deacons and trustees will agree with this, for a long time I didn't want to go to two services. I was the problem. <laughs> We needed to go to two services, but I didn't want to. And we'd hit a ceiling as a church. I can tell you this. We went to two services, and God immediately began to bless things and change things. Now, I'm not real smart, but a light bulb went off. Oh, maybe I should obey God when he tells me to do something, even when I don't understand. We're getting ready in January, near the end of January, to kick off a building campaign. I've been the hold up there too because I'm nervous. I'm going, God, how are you going to do this? I, I, I don't see how this is going to work. And God reminded me this week when I was talking to that family that he'll provide the need. My job is to step out in faith and lead you guys in that direction. So that's what we're going to do. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he does. Our job is to be obedient. And so here's the point. Here's the point. You need to trust God. You need to have an encounter with Christ. You need to make a decision this coming year that you're going to draw close to him and allow him to change your heart. Allow him to change your life. Make it real. Decide to draw close to him. And you know what your Bible says? If you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. And it will change everything. It will change everything. And that is the truth. Amen? So here's what I want to do. We're going to close, and I'm going to pray. This week, I want you to think about somebody you can invite Wednesday night. I believe God's really going to move in a special way. People need Jesus, guys. Gifts are great. I mean, we celebrate gift giving because of what the wise men did, right? But remember what the real gift was? The real gift was Jesus. 
So Wednesday night, you're going to have an opportunity to invite neighbors, friends. Hey, invite some of your enemies and let them get saved. It'll change everything. But have opportunities for people to come in and have an encounter with Jesus. And it'll change their destiny. Do that. And let's believe that God's going to change some people. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand this morning. I want you to grab your neighbor's hand for me. What a precious season that we're in. What a precious season that we're in. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to have Wes lead us in a song. I want you guys to, to worship and just worship that in that song, and then that, the song, when the song ends, that will be how you're dismissed. Don't pass this season up without drawing close to Christ. This has been a hard year for many of you. I can look around the room, and I know there are people that have lost loved ones this year. Families have been hurt. Maybe you've had a transition in your job. Maybe you're facing some physical challenges. I'm not blind to those things. But I want you to know something today. The answer is still Jesus. The answer is still drawing close to him. So as we play, play this song, I just want you to be in an attitude of prayer and just, just lay everything down. Lay everything, all your needs, all your challenges, lay them at the foot of the cross this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being near us today, Lord. I just pray in this season, Lord, that we will draw close to you and that you will change us, Lord. Make us the people, Lord, that you want us to be, that we never dreamed we could be. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, come on.